0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host Vince Peart. Once again and always we are joined by our co-host Tilly Baden. Tilly my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR?
1: Hello everyone. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, I went to see the new Oppenheimer movie the other night. Have you seen it yet?
0: No, I am going to see it Friday night. I mean, don't spoil me. I hope the bomb doesn't go off at the end.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's pretty hard to to not give spoilers away because considering it's a historical event, you should already know what happens. I'd be quite disappointed if you didn't know what happened. But, um, oh, it's so good. It's long. It's like over three hours, but it is worth it. I just... Was
0: it that old Barbie? Because that's kind that, of the um, debate at the moment, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, I'm seeing Barbie tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. I didn't do what some people have done though and watch them back to back, I think that would be too much. Um, and they really don't go together. I mean, Barbie's all fun and games, and Oppenheimer's really serious and tragic and very poignant, actually. Um, don't spoil it, um, Teddy. I, 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 I won't, I won't. Be you are in evening. Yeah, yeah, but okay. please tell me you're not going to take pocket steak along to the cinema or fish like you did last time.
0: Um, well, I, yeah, that was, <laughs> you need to explain to listeners that when, <laughs> when, when me, you and I and uh, our, our our boss here at Social Work Radio and one of our fellow columnists, when the four of us went to a cinema that I sat there and ate fish, took some smoked salmon in my pocket. I mean, we were horrified. We tried to I wasn't. You, but... I was sat <laughs> in, I was, I was having a lovely time watching. Do you know what? It was like 4D cinema because we were watching Avatar The Way of Water whilst I was eating a fish. <laughs> Felt like I was there.
1: I mean, it, yeah. What should I eat for Oppenheimer? Or one for then. the senses. Yeah. What should I eat for
0: Oppenheimer? Take like an American burger, and like no, a, just a bit popcorn. of jerky. Popcorn.
1: Popcorn is the official snack of cinemas. That's, no, that's I think we're on to
0: something here. I think we're on to something here. Smuggling food about your person into the pictures that is relative to the movie that you're watching. What would if 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 Oppenheimer was a flavour? What would it be? Flame grilled, um, flame grilled yeah. steak.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean that's got a double meaning to it. I suppose. I mean it's American, so anything American food wise, but oh, it's food doesn't really go. I mean, I was I ate an entire tub of popcorn. I stuffed my face because it's so what enthralling. Do you, go for? Just, do
0: you go for sweet and salty, or do you go for the gentleman's choice, the half and half?
1: No, uh, I'm a sweet girl. Obviously, got yeah. to have sweet popcorn. Now I'm not. I'm not a massive fan of salty popcorn. I think it's not as good. I'll have a half and half popcorn and a ginger beer. That's much more socially acceptable than fish. So yeah, I'm on board with that choice.
0: Well, it's a local cinema. The one you and I and uh, Nick and our columnist went to was uh, was in Ipswich. I kind of you know I could do what I like there, uh, but my local cinema, the local there. Uh, local Everyman cinema it's like a bespoke sort of cinema you know kind of i'm looking to get in i'm looking to get in there i might i might get a membership so you know i don't want to be taking salmon there i'll, I'll you know i i will eat but only uh the things that they serve themselves
1: excellent yeah support independent cinemas that's that's what you need to do
0: by not smuggling in smoked salmon i took other if i had falafel what did i take i had smoked salmon falafel hummus
1: carrot sticks or something carrot sticks yeah
0: and some um flame grilled ready to eat mini chicken fillets <laughs> and jelly beans <laughs> <Is> that's true <laughs> if you were on a date with me if that was our first date imagine we're on a first date at the cinema you know we've, we've hooked up what 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 dating my mate uses hinge my good friend jason he uses hinge is hinge popular tilly
1: I don't know. I'm not on any dating apps. But are I mean, are I you just, aware of
0: this app called Hinge? Yeah, yeah,
1: I, I know about it. Right, so yeah. we've
0: met on Hinge, and uh, you and I I's at the pictures. First time you've met me, I rock up, and uh, you know, you just you just see me as so we're sat down. Pull out a 200 gram packet of smoked salmon, a tub of falafel, a tub of caramelised onion hummus, a whole bag of carrot batons that have not been washed, and. Um, some jelly babies. What's your view? Shoot,
1: I mean, if I didn't know you, I'd be you horrified. You don't know me, it's a first
0: date. What would you think?
1: I, I, I would be horrified and probably leaving, but as I you know leave. you, I think it's quite endearing. You would, you would leave uh, no, the I, I would stick it out, but then politely make my excuses. I, do so, I would like
0: that. We'll ghost I you.
1: A, Maybe I'll ghost you
0: afterwards. If I was a lady at the pictures, I would like that because you know, what it would tell me she is she eats well. She's thrifty and she is forward-thinking. And if she started to offer me, if 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 I was at the picture and a lady offered me a, a finger of carrot to dip in her hummus, I'd say I'll have <laughs> I love that. I like you even more now. Uh, that be that uh, that would seal the deal for me. If I was offered a carrot finger in the pictures, I'd be hers for life.
1: I mean, that could have a double meaning as well. I think we've a gone on meaning. to a different. I don't know. I know it
0: I don't know why you always do this. You always make because- it bad
1: yeah but you start it because you know exactly what you're doing
0: you yeah i did not you were the one (laughs) you were the one who raised me taking fish into the pictures i simply said what i would do and i've asked the question of you uh what would you think if a man like me did that and you've said it wouldn't be good and i said i think the opposite i would fall and i'd be love at first sight love at first finger
1: Oh, oh no! Oh no! That that sounds really, really wrong. It doesn't. Okay. It's a carrot. It's a carrot. Love at first baton.
0: Look, carrot finger, <laughs> carrot baton. It's a carrot. <laughs> it's an unwashed carrot in the dark of the movies.
1: I mean, because I know you, it's so endearing that you do this. Although, yeah, um, we're I'm not making just it up. You've seen me. You've seen how I, I know. Am. I know. This is what That's I the do. Thing. listeners life. he he's a hundred percent serious. That's the thing. Um, people might think you're putting this on as a bit of an act, but. Why yeah, it's just it's,
0: it's, it's sensible, it's sensitive, it's cheaper, it's healthier, it's more nutritious. And I have I can take whatever I like. If I smuggle goods about my person in the pictures, I can eat whatever I like. And it is not illegal, it's not frowned upon, and there's no rules in place to stop it. I used to hide it about my body, but I just do it brazenly now. I walk in there with my Sainsbury's bag and look the usher in the eye and think, well, you're, not, you're not going to stop me. I know you're going to stop me. I'm going to go on there and I'm going to be dipping my hummus come the end of the trailers.
1: Okay. On that note, um, should we get on with the podcast before you say something even more dirty?
0: You, <laughs> oh, right. Anyway, listeners on this week's show, um, I was going to be How to Be a More Respectful Social Worker, but we should change that to How to Be a More Respectful Podcast Co-host. But we won't. We won't. Oh, we won't to, oh. Once again, I'll take it on the chin. Um, on this week's show, listeners, we are going to be talking about how to be a more respectful social worker. Well, Tilly, well, well, well. I don't know if you know this, and I'm pretty sure if you, you couldn't have predicted that a man like me would do this, but over the weekend... I've said something and it's caused a bit of controversy. What do you think about that?
1: Oh, if it's the first time that there's something like this has ever happened. I'm completely shocked. How could you ever do this?
0: How could I ever rattle someone's cage?
1: <laughs> oh dear, yeah, you've you've caused a stir again. But I'm I'm intrigued. I really like this article. So come on then, let's let's talk about it. Yes,
0: listeners. So um, every Friday, I uh, I do a supervision column. I draw upon my decade-long experience as a social worker, guardian manager, senior social worker, independent social worker, writer, published author, podcast co-host, content editor, and all-around slick guy. And what I do is I offer people advice. So um, generally speaking, every other single time people have offered me advice, Terry, I've given them advice, and I've given them it genuinely – but I got a question in. It was taken from our social work, uh, social work world group that you and I both moderate. And as you know, you know, we, we pull questions from what people post on there, or sometimes it's people writing, sometimes people tweet, sometimes people ring up the phone and ask me a question, and you know, I'll anonymously respond to it on the website in order that everybody can hopefully learn. This is the first time ever where I felt like I was almost telling off one of our readers telling. Have you read it?
1: I have read it and you were. I mean, it's it's giving that. Teacher, naughty schoolgirl vibe. It's yeah.
0: It, it did. So, essentially, listeners, if you haven't read this, hop over to mysocialworknews.com. You, you probably have read it, given it's said about. 10,000 reads of it because it, you know, it went viral in terms of how viral things can get in the world of social work, news and associated articles. So um, my headline was, I don't often say this, but I think you're coming across as a very rude social worker. And essentially the vibe of it was, is this isn't a real name, but um, Amy Lee, which is an anonymized name, um, left a message and said, uh, what are people's takes on dogs? I'm not scared of dogs and quite like them. I think it's so rude just to let your dog jump all over a visitor. I'm sitting doing an assessment. I will ask them to put the doggy into the next room. I'm used to not being offered a seat. Mostly having to ask, can I sit there, learned early on, or a drink? Excusable, I guess. And I would be unlikely to accept anyway. But to let a bit of anger, will jump on you? Question mark, question mark. And she also refers to a service user as the mother. And I don't know, Teddy. Because this got my goat. This got my goat, this. And... I get on the surface, this is a question about dogs. And I understand that on the surface, this was essentially a question about, you know, when we go into a family's home, how should we react if a dog's jumping over us? And, you know, Amy Lee mentioned, that you know, a dog knocked her and she hurt a hip. And obviously that was painful. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But, and this is what I read from this. I read that this was somebody who referred to one of our clients as the mother, which I hate. I've got to be honest, that's a big bugbear of mine. When I get reports and re- even emails, that it refers to the mother, the father, the child. I mean, God, it makes me, it makes me sad to read that as a social worker. God knows if I had to read that as a parent, just being, you know, written, boiled down to nothing but the father. I, I don't like that language at all. As well as that, um, you know, she, she takes issue with, you know, having to ask someone if they can take a seat and she also gets annoyed because someone doesn't offer her a drink, but she would be unlikely to accept it anyway. So I am—I—I um, I wrote a forthright response to Lee, and essentially, I my argument was: Look, people have got a right to the human. To people have got a right to private and family life under Article 8 of the Human Rights Acts. You know, that, that that law specifically covers visits to a family home and correspondence with them. It allows people the right to have a private life without government interference. And my whole crux of my response was, I think you're coming across quite rude. You know, if you can't respect that that's the dog's home, if you think that you're going to walk into a home and give off an attitude where you end up referring to the people you support and simply as the mother or the father if you are going to go into a family home and be annoyed that you have to ask someone if you can take a seat, and if you are also going to be annoyed that you're not offered a drink whilst also having the vibe that you wouldn't accept it anyway, I I just think when you put those four things together, Tilly, for me, that was a bit of a rude vibe. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm with you. It gives oh, me thank you. God for that. Oh, <laughs> I was scared there. No, I agree. Don't, don't the... make me cry. Oh. I mean, you did. You were a little blunt, but oh, yes. I would expect nothing less from you. Yeah. Um, you say it as it is, and I, I. But I think it's an important thing to say. We are incredibly privileged to go into people's homes and go into their environments. It's it's just common courtesy to think that you're the guest in their home, and actually they live their lives as they choose, and you're going in to just do a job. Um, that they probably, if, I mean, if you're working in child protection, that they might not even want you there. I mean, I'm very fortunate these days that when I'm going into people's homes, um, I'm there because normally they're they're wanting me in there, or they're, if I'm doing independent work, they're paying me to be there, and I often get offered cups of tea and cake. I had some very nice chocolate biscuits the other day that went down very nicely, but I would never expect it. And if they've got pets, it's the pet's home, as you say. Um, I think the only caveat is if the pet is dangerous or really aggressive, then you can say politely, politely, can you put the dog in the other room? But otherwise, you are there purely as a guest and don't be so intrusive.
0: Do you know what? That's not most people. Well, I say most. That was I'd say probably wasn't most. It was probably about 50-50. 50% of the people that, and it was there was loads, there was hundreds of comments on this, and I got quite a few direct messages as well, and it was polarised. It was polarised between people that focused on the dog issue and felt that I was being very harsh because um, this lady was just asking about dogs and I should have just focused on the dog. And to be honest, I, I take that criticism on the chain. If this was a question just about dogs, then it was a somewhat harsh response from me because you're totally correct. If a dog's aggressive, if a dog's violent, if a dog's got to bark when you're trying to work with a family... Um, there was a a lady who um, follows the Muslim faith. She contacted me and said that, you know, if she has dog hairs on her clothes, you know, it's against her faith. Again, people were contacting me who had phobias of dogs. People were contacting me who had dog allergies. And certainly, but you just explain that. For me though, it was more than that. It was about respect for clients. It wasn't just the dog issue. That was one part of the other wider problems. And about half the people did see it that way. So Look, it may be that, you know, people didn't read the article fully. It may be that, again, I did come across pretty harsh. It may be that, you know, regardless of my other points, people just felt that I was wrong about the dog and that sort of superseded things. But for me, I mean, we speak about this a lot on the podcast, you and I don't, we tell the importance of congruence, the importance of person-centered practice, the importance of empathy. And when I was reading that question, when I was responding to it, I had one thought in my mind, which would be, how would I feel about that if that was my home and a social worker, someone that had a significant level of power over me, potentially the power to suggest to the court and you know, to, to suggest that managers, whether my children are in my care or not, and significantly alter the shape of mine and my children's lives, I I would be horrified if somebody was holding those views about me. I really would.
1: Yeah, it's so disrespectful, isn't it? And and to be offered a, a drink or a seat or something. It just it it's that expectation and mm. people come from different backgrounds and cultures and you, you shouldn't go in and expect that. You should go in and be prepared to go to their level, whatever their, their level is. It's it just it made me feel very uncomfortable. Um, that social workers' views.
0: Tell you what I love Tilly. I love it when a client gives me a bottle of water because obviously I'm I'm very boring, as you know, Tilly. Um, I don't drink tea. I don't drink coffee. and I sometimes drink a herbal tea. Uh, If I'm really wanting to push the boat out and be adventurous, I might treat myself to a nice fruit tea. If I've had a difficult day, I might have a chamomile. That's about as far as I go. Uh, and sometimes I'll say to clients, "I oh, could just go." That's I usually Have a glass of water. Can I have a glass of water. And sometimes they'll say, like a fellow the other day says, "I can do better than that." And I thought, what's going to happen? i I going to get a double gin? Is he bringing out a brandy? <laughs> what's better than a water? And he came out with a bottle of Highland Spring sealed. And I was like, "Oh my god!" Ooh. Oh, I was <laughs> like, "Wow!" Literally, I said, "You probably thought I was joking," but I said, "You've made my day, there, sir." And Tilly, you know me well. Do you think that genuinely did make my day?
1: Of course it did. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about 10 uh, days
0: later. I'm still buzzing 10 (laughs) days later. That's my expect. This is what I mean. My expectations as a social worker are such that me getting a bottle of water, I'll tell you what it's like. It was like, it was like when Dobby is given a sock. That's what I felt like. I was as happy as Dobby when he gets a sock from Malfoy.
1: I mean, I love that you bring up Dobby all the time, especially as I know that you don't like Dobby. But um, that's grown, another story for another day.
0: Do you know what? I'm I'm I'm, gro- I'm grown into Dobby, a, a mutual <gasps> friend of a mutual friend of yours and I, Tilly, who shall remain nameless. She's been um, she's been preaching Dobby to me. She's been indoctrinating me into the cult of Dobby. I don't I don't wow. I wouldn't say I'm going to mess with him. I wouldn't say he's my homeboy, you know. But um, I wouldn't cross the street to avoid him anymore.
1: Oh, you're changing your mind. That's another thing I've got to thank her for. I will uh, add that to my um, message to her later
0: uh, on. I'm not as, mm. you know. So, yeah, that's how I felt like That's what I mean. Look, look, that That is my expectations. Look, if I can see a client, I'm happy. If I can literally, as long as... If, if, if I knock on a client's door and I get in, everything else from there is a bonus. Because... That, for me, we we lose this in social work. You, we lose this in social work. It's such a fundamental thing. You know, I don't know about you, Tilly, but I get awkward when people come around my house when, like, someone has to come around to fit a new telephone wire or check the gas or something. Like a, a, When builders are in the house, I hate it. I have to leave. When, you know, the cleaners come around or something, I've got to get out. And, like, it, it is never lost on me the power that we have to go into somebody's personal home. And, you know, occasionally I have to go through cupboards. I have to look into beds. I have to look in, you know, look in pantries. I have to take pictures of people's home if I'm doing a home conditions assessment. And then I have to go away and write that up. These are incredibly intrusive things that undermine people's right to a human and family life. And I just think if we cannot respect that and we could become so blasé and numb that we can actually criticise people in their own homes for not meeting up to our perceived perceptions of how we might treat a friend or a family member in our home. Well, forgive me for saying this, Telly, but I don't think a lot of people are happy to see social workers and certainly don't see them as the friends. <laughs> or have I got this wrong?
1: <laughs> well wow, I don't know speak for yourself people are normally happy to see me but I'm doing a very different kind of work so um no as, as in child protection people are not generally happy to to see no. you um you're there because they've got significant problems within their lives and, and you're there to sometimes try and help but also sometimes to exercise the the powers that we have in the state. Exactly. so it, it's it's an incredible intrusion into someone's life
0: So let's talk about this then when we are intruding into people's lives let's talk about sort of two things here let's talk about clients pets and clients homes and sort of put them together how should we be respectful of our clients pets and second question my friend how should we therefore be respectful of our clients homes too
1: I mean, well, you know me, Vince. I'm an absolute animal lover, so I'm always very excited to see whatever pets people have, unless they're reptiles. I'm, I'm a little bit, well, I'm frightened of snakes, but um, as long as they're in their cage, I'll be like, oh, that's a nice snake, and and leave it like that. But no, I I want to ask people about their pets. I want to know their names. I want to say hello if the pet's okay with that. Um, and it's it's a really great icebreaker actually because it it puts you onto that person's level and shows that you have a genuine interest in something that's very important to them I mean pets are a family so it's it's another family member you wouldn't go in and treat the child with contempt so why would you go in and treat the pet with contempt it's just something that you've got to be okay with and and social workers with pets are so popular um with just most homes that you go in most people have pets these days so it's it's something that all social workers are going to have to become familiar and comfortable with
0: exactly exactly And, and you know i always think you've got to tread lightly in people's homes you know you you've got to get used to it um I was in a home not that long ago. There were that many pets, I said to the lady, I feel like I should be paying an entrance fee. It's like a Zoom. And, it, 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 you know, you say stuff like that, but, you, you know, you, you, do, you say it like in a, a nice, like, jovial manner, and it breaks the ice. It immediately mm-hmm. breaks the ice. If you can find, you, you know, let's go back to the basics of person-centred practice. Carl Rogers, when he originated person-centred practice in the 50s and 60s, he spoke about language being a bridge between two people. And our behavior and actions are a bridge between two people. And you have to connect with the people you support in social work because what do we know about social work? We know that internal motivation lasts, external motivation doesn't. Foundation of our practice is empathy and congruence and person-centered skills and approaches. You have to build a bridge with people. And obviously you've got pets, Tilly, and you've had horses and dogs all your life. Come on, let's be honest here. We know that pets have a sixth sense. We know that pets can sense when people aren't good for you.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, it's game over. If if I've got a friend that comes around and the dog doesn't like them, then it is really game over. I mean, it, exactly. they tell you everything that you want to know about someone.
0: And dogs can sense. So if you enter a home and you're reluctant, obviously a dog's going to bark at me anyway, but if I go in, I put my hand down, you stroke it, you make an effort – gets you off on the good foot immediately. And it's basically, I'll I'll say the single thing and I'll kind of wrap up my views in it. The attitude that our clients should shape their lives to us is totally the wrong way to approach social work. We have to shape our lives to the people we are supporting. Whenever I'm working with a family, I don't say, right, these are the dates I can do. You've got to fit around me. I'll say, what are your working pattern? What are your commitments? When do you have contact with your children? When do you see your children? When's family time? What are your commitments? You tell me the days you're free and I'll do my best to fit around you. Can't always happen. Sometimes I say, look, I'll do my best, but there might be one or two days if I could ask you to rearrange things. We have to tread lightly in people's lives. We have to leave as little traces as we can as possible in their family homes because that's what we would expect, would we not, Tilly? Is that not a basic ethos of treating others as you would wish to be treated yourself?
1: Yeah, you've got it exactly right there. Treating others as you wish to be treated is the foundation of what our practice is on.
0: On that note, do you think I would like to have been called rude?
1: I mean, I'm sure you've been called rude many <laughs> times before. I have. have been um, <laughs> called, <I've laughs> called worse
0: by you tonight before we started recording this, Tilly. So yes, I definitely have been. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that makes me so really mean. Um, I'm not that mean to you. You're you're uh,
0: equally mean to me. It, uh, it's no, just I'm not, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not mean to you. Anyway, so yeah, no, uh, maybe I maybe I was a bit too harsh. Apologies, Emily. You know, I I I do not backtrack on my views, but I could have perhaps uh, explained them in a more gentle way. That's me all over, isn't it, Tilly? Going the right way about things, but a bit too blunt.
1: Yeah, hammer and nut come to mind.
0: (laughs) Correct, correct. Hammer and nut, carrot and falafel. Right. So I, uh, do you know what? I I sort of reflect on that thought, do you know what? I am going to try and go about this in a, in, in a better way so um every week or sometimes more than once a week but at least once a week i'll, I'll write or curate an article for my socialworknews.com called social work skills and i thought this week i will write one called how to be a more respectful social worker so tell you, i'm gonna uh, step you through my three-step process to be a, a more respectful social worker are you ready to uh, are you ready to be enlightened
1: of course i am come on then let's go
0: I'll break this down to three different areas. So, we'll talk these through one by one. The three areas that I thought were very important um, to consider are empathy, congruence, and person centered practice. For me, in my practice, those are the three ways that I can best sort of frame my respect in. So, empathy is obviously walking in people's shoes, the ability to understand and share their feelings. So, I put out basically three different ways to show empathy. Active listening, give you full attention to clients, reflect on their emotions and validate their feelings about judgment. Avoid assumptions, understand that every individual has a unique story. Avoid generalizing based on our past experiences, or biases. And number three, uh, the third way to sort of culture, uh, to to help cultivate empathy is use open-ended questions. Don't frame your questions, don't read off a list. God forbid, don't just sit there and tick through a series of questions on a form in front of you. Ask open-ended questions and in particular, ask emotive questions. How did that make you feel? What were you feeling at the time? What do you think that made you feel? Things like that, which you can, uh, uh, you know, evoke a client's feelings, views, and wishes from such questions. What do you think about that, Tilly? I imagine you approach your practice in a similar light, do you, when uh, when cultivating empathy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose the slight caveat is um, ask with the questions if I'm working with someone with a learning disability or dementia or some sort of a brain injury. Um, I might have to use different types of questions mm. depending on on the person that I'm speaking with, because actually sometimes open-ended questions can be very overwhelming for some people. Um, so I think that's the only way that I would slightly have to to caveat that or tailor that to um, working with adults. But otherwise, I think you're, you're spot on.
0: That's a very fair point. Actually, would sometimes even work with children. You can, you know, try and. Um you can try and like uh, target them down with certain like yes or no questions. It can help. So that's a very good point. Indeed. Um, My second approach, second key approach to, you know, helping to be more respectful social worker is to look at congruence and, you know, congruence is essentially being authentic, you know, being genuine and congruent essentially means being true to ourselves in interactions. And that can really, really help. If you're genuine, you know, you, you genuinely do wish the best for people That comes across in your practice. So again, three steps to this. um, Self-awareness. Very important to use self-reflection and use therapeutic supervision to understand your own feelings. It's important to accept our biases and reactions. You know, we need to know what triggers us and we need to know what our biases are. Now, there's nothing offensive about that. There's nothing anti-oppressive about accepting biases. We are all naturally born with them. Some are based out of fears. Many of them are based out of childhood experiences that are ingrained. If we could acknowledge those biases, it is far more healthy to acknowledge that bias and ex- acknowledge that it exists then pretend it doesn't. Then we should also look for honest feedback. You know, it's crucial to be honest and be, be tactful. And this is perhaps why I wasn't with Amy today. I was honest, but I wasn't tactful. But I am in my practice. I'm far more tactful in my practice than I am in my personal life and on the podcast. And obviously that's very, very important. And I think the third way that we can really foster congruence, Tilly, is consistency. Be consistent in our emotions, be consistent with our words, and most importantly, be consistent in your actions. I think one of the dodgiest things you can do to kind of undermine a good working relationship with the people we're supporting is to be different and to change your approach. You know, I I might not always do what a client wants and I might not always give the answer they want and I might not always deliver the outcome to assessment they want, but I'll always be fair, I'll always be honest, I'll always be straight up and I'll always be evidence-based. And I say that to clients right at the start. I say, look, I'll always look for the bad and the good, and I'll always look for the good and the bad. You know, there's always positives, but equally there's always negatives. You know, you'll get both from me, and we'll have a fair and balanced approach to this assessment. And 99 times out of 100, people really, really like that honesty and really, really like that approach, because if you can give people a fair chance and say, look, I'll take you as you are. And I'll be consistent. And if you can not only apply that to that client, but if you apply it to every single person that you work with and never weigh never let your morals dip, just despite the pressures that you may get, and always be steadfast and consistent in your approach, that integrity can really go far, not only with individual clients, but also throughout the course of your entire career.
1: Absolutely. And I think that goes back to attachment theory, doesn't it? If you've got a consistent caregiver, then you're gonna have a secure attachment and be able to have a really positive foundation. Whereas if you're inconsistent, the child doesn't know where to stand. And that that resonates throughout our lives. Um and and if you think to I don't know managers that you might have had before or colleagues, sometimes I find the most difficult relationships to navigate are those people that are really inconsistent and There's nothing worse than having to walk on eggshells around someone and not quite knowing what mood they're going to be in, what response you're going to get. Um, That can be really stressful. So, um, yeah, I think that's a really important point that you've raised there.
0: Thank you very much. And the third approach I've discussed is using person-centered practice, essentially putting the individual at the core of everything you do. You know, the clients were there for the clients. If it wasn't for the people we supported, we simply wouldn't have a job. We wouldn't exist. So we have to put them at the centre of a therapeutic process. It is not about us. It is about them. We have to value those we support as the experts on their life and the experts by their experience and. We also have to recognize that good people do bad things and bad people do good things. And we have to always recognize people's potential approach for growth and change. Um, these are all very straightforward. Anyone who knows anything about person-centered the practice among these three approaches, so I'm just going to go through them quickly. Number one, UPR, unconditional positive regard. Always accept and respect clients for who they are without any conditions or judgments. Number two, empowerment. You must encourage those you support to take an active role in their decision-making process. Allow people to express their needs, concerns, and goals. Even if you know it's going to be very difficult for you to do what the client wants, you should still listen to what they want and put that forward and advocate on their behalf. And finally, we must be aware of cultural sensitivity when we're working in a person-centered manner. We have to recognize how cultural, racial, and individual differences for our clients can affect their ability to act access services ability to engage and ability to live their lives and we must integrate that into our practice
1: again there's not much more i can say on that really i think that they're, they're spot on and unconditional positive regard is one of my favorite social work theories i have to say
0: well let's end on this one Tilly. if a social worker was coming to your home tomorrow um not me you know, if I was there, I'd, I'd be wanting to, I'd be hoping for a drink, and I'd be hoping to be offered a seat, and I'd be, you know, I'd be hoping to be jumped all over by your dog. Um, if a social worker came to your home on a professional, on a professional and purpose, though, what would you want to see from them?
1: To just be humble, I think that's one of the the key messages, really, to come in and be polite and and yeah, respectful of my home, my pets, and and. Everything about me, Um, I just, I want them to be authentic and everything that you've just talked about um, in that article, really, I think that's all we can wish for.
0: Do you know what I would want more than anything is just straight up honesty. I would just want somebody to be straight up. I, I would like to know exactly what I was facing. One of my biggest bugbears in social work is when... A social worker will say one thing to a client and then go away and write up an assessment and write up a report which contains very different things indeed. Look, I know it can be difficult to challenge people. I know it can be difficult to have those conversations, but I always think that the people we support should know the reality of what they're facing from the start. Because if you tell people the reality of what they're facing, Tilly, people have got a chance. They've got a chance to change. They've got a chance to engage. They've got a chance to grow. But if you go out there and just see your job as a social worker is simply to assess and simply to judge people and not to both assess and intervene and review all three things, should I say, not to do all three of those, which is the social work cycle, We don't just go into people's lives and just judge them and write them off. We go into people's lives, we assess what's going wrong, we offer interventions, we help to empower them to get to that point, and then we review to see how that goes. And I think far too many social workers have forgot those three steps that we're not just there to judge we're not just there to assess we're there to assess we're there to interview we're there to review that is the three parts of the social work cycle and it keeps spinning and spinning and spinning around like a little wheel and I I think that the best thing that a social worker can do is be honest and be straight up and that's what I would want if a social worker came into my life I'd be like right just, just give me it straight up What are we facing? What can I do? And then, do you know, Tilly, at least I've been given a chance. At least I would feel, right, I'm given a chance here. And then me and that social worker are on the same page because it wouldn't be me versus the social worker. It would be me and the social worker versus the problem that I was fully aware of, I knew the gravitas of, and we could hopefully address together.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I've got nothing more to add. Yeah.
0: On that point, let's wrap up then. Um, listeners, thank you as always for tuning in. Um, head over if you want to read the two articles we've considered tonight. If you want to head over to mysocialworknews.com, you will find those articles on there as well as many others. And I will end on this one, Tilly. We've got some very exciting news about so mysocialworknews.com. We got the news through yesterday that we have had. 2 million people visit the site this past year
1: it's just amazing i'm still pinching myself that we've managed to grow this platform and it's being so successful and it's clearly what the social workers out there want we are social workers we're we're providing that service for you guys out there so thank you to all our listeners and our readers
0: Yes, and just to echo what Tilly said there, thank you ever so much, guys. The fact that 2 million people have visited our website um, and read our articles over the past year has been absolutely amazing. You know, we, we do it for you guys. You know, our tagline is... By social workers, for social workers, Tilly and I are social workers. We'll be out there working tomorrow. We were out there working today before we joined up together to do this podcast. And that is what makes it the fact that, you know, we can sit here, talk about these issues from the front line and engage with people like yourselves who are out there doing the job or are trained to do this job. We literally wouldn't be here without you. And the fact that two million of you have visited the website over the past year is frankly staggering so from the bottom of my heart thank you thank you thank you right tilly um until next week i think that's about it so it's goodbye from me
1: and it's goodbye from me